Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. I have a very big announcement. After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum, and I will see you there. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the founder of Magnetic Memory Method, a formulaic 21st century approach to memorizing foreign languages vocabulary, dreams, names, music, poetry, and more in ways that are easy, elegant, effective, and fun. He has taught thousands of students in multiple countries and worked as a memory coach and advisor for top ESL instructors and language school administrators around the world. I was first introduced to him and his work by two accomplished polyglots and very good friends of mine, Chris Broham and Ollie Richards, who raved about his methods. Once I started digging into his work, I could see why. After more than a year of correspondence, I'm very honored to welcome onto the show Anthony Metivier. Anthony, how are you? I'm excellent, Mikhail. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to speak. My pleasure. Anthony, why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory? How did you get working in memory and, you know, maybe even how did you become an expat? Because, I mean, you're a very accomplished expat as well. Yeah, well, the uh, everything ties together. But as you know, memory is a strange thing. So I tell the, the story differently every time. And that's part of how memory works. It just changes everything. But the long and short of it is, is I was doing a PhD in humanities, which had many, many requirements because humanities is a big topic. So they make you do some language history, classical languages, et cetera, history of science, history of technology, 
and uh, it's intense. And I had a lot to cover. And I was in Toronto at the time, really epic winter, snow so high. They were thinking about bringing in the military to help clear it all away. And I was depressed, clinically depressed. And, you know, I, I, without getting into it, I spent a lot of time, you know, dealing with mental health issues over the years. And I didn't know what to do. I was going to quit school or I was going to go and fail one of my field exams, which are very intense exams where you sit in front of seven professors and they grill you for hours. Uh, or I was going to jump off a bridge, like just to put it as bluntly as that. And uh, that's what it's like to have a, a, a mental illness. And so I was avoiding life, avoiding making decisions, avoiding studying. And I came across some magicians. And these magicians taught me how to, you know, get back into life and start to use your mind. And because you could watch videos, it was a new thing on YouTube. I just sat there and started to play with my hands. And that's where somebody came up with the idea in one of their magic videos, you could memorize a deck of cards. And I said, no way. I can't even read a page of French philosophy, you know, but 15 minutes later, I memorized a deck of cards and I was just like, wow, if I can do that, I can get all of that stuff onto cards, literally index cards, and I can memorize it the same way. And the rest is history. I've been traveling all around ever since I finished my PhD and writing books and making courses. And um, the funny thing is, is that I discovered only about two years ago that someone named Dr. Tim Dalglish has been studying the use of memory techniques to help with depression and other things like PTSD. So independently, I discovered that you can feel better just by exercising your memory. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about teaching it. Wow. So, okay. So first of all, did you end up going on and finishing your PhD in the original field that you started in, or did you end up switching when you found this new passion for what you were learning in memory? No, I plowed on. I mean, one of the most important yep. things is to finish what you started. Uh, and I had no desire. I mean, in retrospect, I might have done my dissertation on memory, but in some sense, I did. I, I was writing about friendship and the philosophy of friendship, how that all works. And so really, friendship and memory go together. So it's not that different. Um, and all that stuff that I studied helped with business and also being able to travel and, and you know, not just learn languages, but be able to speak to people because you have a decent grounded philosophy of what friendship is and what it can do for yourself and others. Okay. So, I mean, we're both Canadian. You are in where? In Australia at the moment? What yeah. city? Uh, Brisbane. Brisbane. And your wife is Chinese. Yes. My wife is Chinese. I feel yeah. like when we melt, and, and my friend, our friend, Ollie's wife is also Chinese. I mean, when I met all of you guys, I kind of felt like, oh, we had the, all these different things in common. Right. Um, and you guys obviously have, well, Ollie obviously has a passion for languages. Um, I think my passion for languages has come quite a bit later than yours and his has probably. But it was really interesting getting to know you over the last year and him over the last two or three years and seeing so many of the things that have lined up for us that are so, so similar. Right. So why, I guess maybe give us a little bit of a background from the expat side of things, why you decided to go that route? Why did you end up leaving Canada and traveling and studying all these different languages? Well, it's uh, an interesting story. I 
as part of my PhD, I went to New York City so I could have access to better libraries. And while I was there, I met somebody who was from Germany. And long story short, we wound up getting married. And uh, I went, went to Germany uh, and just fell in love with the place. But um, that didn't work out. And uh, basically, I, I was able to, to pick up German quite quickly after I got a teaching grant. Uh, a research grant. And so that I, I just found some way to get there to be able to stay in Germany. And it was uh, a, a remarkable thing. I got a Mercator, it's called from the Deutsche Forschung Gemeinschaft, which basically means German Research Society. And uh, that was incredible. And there, I mean, I, I would, I'll never forget the, the boss that I had being so impressed by how quickly I was learning German and then giving my first public lecture in German within a year or so was just, uh, I mean, it wasn't that great, but it was still to have the, uh, the, the courage and the ability to actually be able to do it and be understood and answer some questions was, was quite over the top, really. I'm blown away by it, but it can't be possible without memory techniques as far as I can tell. Um, and so how long, how, what, what kind of time frame are we talking that you were able to actually get up and speak German and do a presentation? I would say it was within a year. Um, wow. And there had been some German exposure before that, but I never seriously studied it. And I even took a course and I couldn't study it because it was a course that was filled with these Russian taxi drivers who just kept talking in Russian the whole time. I learned more Russian in the German course. And I, you know, I don't have extraordinary Russian by any means, but I, I literally learned more Russian than German in this course because of of this this is one of these state-sponsored sort of courses where everything goes. But um, yeah, when I got serious about it and applied these techniques, just sailing, um, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, there's more to the story, of course, but it is uh, it is one of these things that if you really get into something and you have the strategies and tools to be able to do it, you can go really really quickly. Well, I'm super curious to get into all the strategies and techniques and those types of things. But I mean, let's hear a little bit more about your journeys as an expat. And then once we go into the memory techniques, then I want to stay there and I want to like pick your brain. I got a full page of questions and notes and things I want to ask you about. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there was the grant thing, but that was not permission to, you know, necessarily stay beyond that. So I wound up back in Canada. I was in Vancouver, and I really wanted to go back to Germany. But I just, I mean, without getting into all the nitty gritty details, I mean, I went and tried to get other academic positions, other grants, et cetera, et cetera, and it just wasn't happening. And what did happen was that I was busy trying to start a business, and I had played in a band in Germany, uh, and just out of the blue, they called me up and asked me the actual phrase was when are you going to come and take back your throne <laughs> and i was like well what do you mean and they said well we're going to go on tour again and we you know we want you to come and i just thought uh, like i really was making n almost nothing in this business but i was making and i thought well if i can make this much i could probably push it and be able to fund myself to be on this tour because it wasn't you know Bon Jovi or something like this. It was a band, a self-funded band, and you basically got your expenses covered on the tour from the concert halls. Anyway, so I just 
started working more and more on this business. And that by the time that I got there, it was like magic, you know, go to the bank machine and we're, we're able to fund myself. And I will never forget going to the uh, uh, Auslander Behörde, it's called the immigration office in Germany and uh, showing them my sales stats on the internet to, to convince them that I'm actually an author now of books. And uh, that's what they, that's what they had on my visa Schriftsteller. And uh, I was able to stay there as a, as an author and just needed to renew it. Uh, I think every three years or something like that. So wow. you can, you, if you can dream it, you can do it as they say. Well, yeah, getting into Europe is always one of those tricky things. I mean, I do a lot of work in immigration and, People seem to think that, you know, tomorrow they can just move to Europe if they want. Like, everything is open. It's like, you know, chances are they don't want you there. I mean, if you have special qualifications, I mean, possibly. If you have a lot of money and you can purchase residency or citizenship, yeah, for sure, in certain countries. But, I mean, a lot of people don't understand how challenging immigration can be and how many hoops you have to jump through. So it's amazing that you got a chance to spend so much time in Germany. Yeah, and it's a real blessing too because it is a very interesting and great place. Uh, but it w it wasn't easy. But it, but it helped that I was you know able to speak to them in German and have all these little cutesy kind of local phrases that only somebody who had spent some time with the locals could could know. And being Canadian, you already you know can endear yourself to. Uh, many people because you're naturally polite and you apologize Shh. for everything 5,000 times. Don't, you know? don't <laughs> tell our secret, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Just, you know, be polite and apologize 5,000 times <laughs> for yeah. everything. But um, yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, really what they cared about though was that I actually was legit, had uh, had business revenue and it was all based on something that they could basically check a box on, which was being an author. So and how long? So how long were you in Aus in in Australia? How long were you in Germany for? Uh, in total, eight years. Wow! So amazing. Yeah, that was incredible. And then, when did you move on to Australia? Was that a long time later, or did you go from Germany to Australia? We went from Germany to Beijing to Australia, and that was uh, quite an adventure in and of itself, uh, uh, as everything is. Um, and it was another cold winter, <laughs> so it was quite a shock to leave the cold of Germany, which is one sort of level of cold. You get in Berlin what are called the Russische Peitsche. I think that's correct. I'm not sure exactly, but that means Russian whips, these, these cold winds. And uh, then Beijing, I don't even, I haven't learned a word that they might have there for deep cold, but it was like walking on knives. It was so cold there. And then... Uh, after we got our stuff sorted for Australia, then it was just heat, and I still am not uh, overcooked. I just can't get enough heat. <laughs> so how long were you in China for then? Uh, it was really just over a month or so. Um, because I remember, I don't know if it was a video program or an audio program, a podcast, something I was listening to of yours, and you were saying that you actually at your wedding you did a song in chinese or something yeah, like yeah. this correct yeah that, that, that the, so i've been to china a few times but this particular stay was over a month but previous to that i uh yeah i i i'd sung uh, uh, at my wedding um 
Yel Yang Dai Biao Di Xin is the uh, song that I sing, uh, which means or is usually translated in English as the moon represents my heart, um, which is a beautiful, beautiful song. And yeah, I probably memorized it in yeah, 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so. Um, I'm not a great singer, wow. though. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you play as a musician i guess not as a singer then no they wouldn't let me sing although i, I no. on, on the uh the final album i was involved with uh i did do a guest vocal thing but it wasn't singing put it that way <laughs> i'm more of a vocal artist uh narrating uh you know some post-apocalyptic stuff for heavy metal well i remember when um me and my wife got married and i had this kooky idea that you know i would say my vows or something like that because like well first of all i guess we got married in africa so we didn't have a wedding in china but i thought when we went back and we had these huge parties i think we had parties multiple days in a row with like two three hundred people there i had this idea that maybe i could do like my vows in chinese but then we didn't end up doing vows there so i didn't end up having to learn it but even the prospect of it right now like trying to do that in front of 200 people in Chinese. I mean, <laughs> makes me a little bit <laughs> butterflies in the stomach just thinking about it. Right. So good, good for you for, for well, 10 minutes. For, okay, Let, I, I suppose let's get into the memory stuff because I want to understand how you could memorize something like that in 10 minutes. Yeah, well, practice <laughs> and study uh, basically uh, of the techniques. But that's actually not the right way to characterize it. I mean, it takes about 10 minutes to encode how you're going to memorize it. But really, the, the, the end point is for life, right? Because I, I, I could sing it right now. Uh, I think I might make a, a mistake or so. I haven't sang it, sung it for probably two years. But the actual, when you get things into repetition, it's so that you can repeat it. And I did practice it a number of times. There's even a YouTube video where I'm practicing it while watching the dishes. Um, washing the dishes and uh this is it's not cr quite correct to say 10 minutes but in terms of creating a memory palace and then coming up with all the images that you're going to do uh to, to memorize that amount of words because there's a lot of repetition in the song as well so it's not nearly as much text as you would th would think anyway uh it, it doesn't take that long and it would be the same thing if you were going to memorize 10, 15, 20 words uh, of a language. If you know how to use these techniques, then you're going to speed along quite rapidly. And I mean, I have had people in my programs, uh, Eldon Clem comes to mind. He did a thousand words in ancient Ethiopic in six weeks, right? And uh, then he went on to read a thousand pages, uh, which he thought was, you know, the greatest thing in the world. And I imagine that it was. Uh, and other people do different speeds. Um, uh, there's a language called Arenta here in Australia, which uh, Amanda Markham, she did 200 words in 10 days. Now, this language only has 350 words or thereabout. And so, you know, she was able to slow down, I guess, after that, because there's not that much left to go. But uh, I think she already knew the remainder of the words. But, you know, again, if you if you can imagine it, you can do it. You just got to prepare yourself and learn the learn the techniques okay so you mentioned a word in there that i want you to deconstruct for us so a memory palace what is a memory palace very good uh technique it's thousands of years old and it's basically just a mental recreation of a room or a building 
And you don't have to use the word memory palace. Some people really don't like that. They don't gel with it. No problem. It was never called that uh, until recent periods. Anyway, it used to be called method of loci, which loci is a fancy word, the plural for locations. But it's also been called the journey method. It's been called Roman room method. There's oodles of terms. I had a client who called it, he just couldn't gel with any of these terms. So he called it apartments with compartments. The basic idea okay. is, is that too. you're just <laughs> taking space and you're mentally thinking about it in a particular way. And then if you're going to memorize a song or you're going to memorize a bunch of vocabulary, you just you know revisit the room in a particular order and you've placed associations along a journey. And those mental associations, there's some finicky little principles around it, but it's super easy and fun to do once that you get those principles uh, down, which is for d different people, different amounts of time. But um, if you're willing to learn it, it pays off in droves. So I remember listening to one of your podcast interviews, and I think that you said the word anchor. It was that it can be difficult to memorize a new language because you don't have anything to anchor it to. Is that kind of how the memory palace works? Because you, it does like an association with, say, a physical object, obviously a physical object in your mind, or is that something different? It's exactly an anchor. And what it's a special kind of anchor because you're drawing upon stuff you already know. So you already know the journey from your bedroom to your kitchen, right? How much work did you have to do to remember how to walk to your kitchen from your bedroom. It's like, it just happens on autopilot, right? Well, let's take something like right? I'll kick myself if I'm getting this wrong later, but that can happen too. <laughs> but um, all I have to do is uh, I just think yell. Well, who do I know who yells a lot? Well, I don't know anybody who yells a lot, but um, I think of Yule Brenner. Now, why Yule Brenner? Because it's a Y sound, right? And to see Yule Brenner yelling, yell young die, like I'm already halfway there, right? And then Lung, well, his lungs, Aqualung from, what's that band? I can't think of the name right now, but uh, it, it, this is another weird thing that'll happen is you, you, you won't remember certain things. I think Ian Anderson plays in this band, but there's the song Aqualung and uh, you just have Yul Brenner's lungs just exploding now and with a dice, because die is dice, right? So Yul Young, young die. Then you just go on to the next thing. Now that's all happening where it's happening between the bedroom and the kitchen, but a little more strategy to where I place these things than that. But there you go. Yell young die. It's just that simple. Now, is it a one-to-one -one correspondence with every sound? No, not necessarily, but it's the foundation. It's the anchor. Okay. We're going to take like a quick 10 second break. So what I want everyone to do right now is if you are a fan of this show, I want you to share it with one friend. That's it. That's all I need you to do. I need you to pause the episode right now. Go out there. Go on Facebook. Go on Twitter. Go on your email. And I want you to share this episode or maybe your favorite episode with a really good friend of yours. Because it's no secret that the world we're going through some pretty tough times right now. And what I want to do is try to be a voice of solution, a voice of reason that is out there to be able to help people. And I honestly believe that moving overseas and having a bit of adventure and having a bit of passion back in your life 
and moving to a safe, peaceful country is a real opportunity for people. So please, 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 if you guys can just do one thing for me today, I want you to share this episode or your favorite episode with a friend right now. I really appreciate it. We actually grow the more the episodes are shared. We need to get these things out here because what I think is that we're all building a really strong community together. So hopefully you will take this, you'll share it with your friends, and get a lot of value from it. Thank you so much. Okay, let's jump back into the interview. Okay, so then let's talk about the location. You said that there's more to it, like you're strategic with where you place things. Mm. What does that mean? Why, why do you have to be strategic? Well, when I first learned these techniques, I was banging my head against the wall because every memory training says, start at your door of your house and move inward. And I did this and I quickly found that I was leading myself into a dead end because when you get up to the master bedroom, where do you go from there? Well, you jump out the window, like it's just crazy. I don't know why that all these trainings do this. So I just realized after some thought, what if I start at the dead end, which I now call the terminal station, right? Just start there and then you're moving outward and you never, have a dead end and over the years that i've been teaching this it's just helped so many people for so many does that reasons. mean like so so say that you started the master bedroom you did your whole house and then once you had kind of gone that far then you went out your front door and to your next door neighbor's house or to the the shop next door so the memory palace can actually be like your neighborhood or a larger area yeah you can just keep adding right now there's many different ways that you can add on and you don't want to do it in such a way that it gets so big that then it becomes a mental chore to manage it. So what we do for there is rather than necessarily connecting it to your neighbor's house, let's say your neighbor is named Bob. Well, now that's your Bob memory palace or your B memory palace, right? So if um, you're learning a language and you want to uh, memorize a bunch of words, one of the fastest ways you can do it is get your friend Bob in the terminal station, let's call it, and you have a bunch of B words in that language, and you just follow him around through his home. Now, you might not know where his master bedroom is, so just leave that out, but you know where the pool room is, and you know where the kitchen is, etc. And so now you got to memorize something like Bonbrechend or something in Germany, in German, and you have him in the pool table doing something that reminds you of the sound and meaning of that word, and then you have another B word, and you follow him to the kitchen. And then that's where that word is. Now, uh, instant objection, people will say, yo, that sounds like one word at a time, right? Uh, how could that ever scale? And the reality is that's a good objection, but it doesn't last, doesn't work out because you have to learn one word at a time anyway, <laughs> no matter what, like there's no getting around learning one word at a time, but it scales because you can have not only these multiple memory palaces that are alphabetically encoded so that you can be a lot faster because Bob's going to help you. What came next? Well, he started with Bonbrechend, and now we go to the next word, and it's also a B word, so you don't have to think that much. It's got to be a B word, right? But also, you can add phrases to these individual words later, and then you, get into have, you begin to have a compound effect, right, very quickly because you just – you have a pool table, for example, and now you could write an entire sentence in the language along that pool table. 
and have Bob interacting with it or other characters. And uh, that word, that sentence now has 10 words in it instead of one. And those other words may or may not be in other memory palaces, but they can be, or they, they don't have to be, but you just scale very quickly. So do you create different memory palaces for different like themes or different topics? Like, like if you were l learning German, I mean, do you have like your German memory palace and then your Chinese memory palace? Are these separate or do you just have your home and your home has everything in it? They are separate, but not because of the, the language as such. They're separate just simply because they're project oriented or whatnot. There's many ways that an individual can organize them. I organize them alphabetically. So when I sit down to, to learn Chinese, I, I renew this. But when I started, same deal, A to Z, right? Now, there's characters involved, and that's a whole different conversation. But in terms of actually just getting a foundation in Mandarin or whatever version of any language that you might be learning, A to Z will work because even if that language doesn't use A to Z, Pinyin does, um, but even if it doesn't, Cyrillic or whatever, you still have the English representation of those sounds. So you can save the alphabets for later, and as long as you can get a transliteration, uh, which would be a, a, a version of the words spelled so that it makes sense to you in your mother tongue, then you're able to work with it in an A to Z memory palace. And so I have multiple networks, multiple memory palaces for Chinese. I had, and I continue to learn German, many uh, memory palaces for German. When I've worked with Latin, it's same same deal. These are multiple memory palace networks. Now you can reuse memory palaces, but you shouldn't need to. Anybody who has, look, life does not play hide and seek. Anybody who has their eyes open will see multiple buildings around them all day long. I was just memorizing some new Chinese the other day using a bank in the shopping concourse in the, the central business district of Brisbane. And I was like, why did I never use this before? Well, now's the time to start. So like, there's just endless buildings everywhere. I'm just using the front of the, I've never even been in it. And I'm just using the front to memorize new Chinese vocabulary. Okay, so many questions. Where to take this? All right, so, <laughs> okay, here's, uh, forgive me, if this might be a stupid question. Can the memory palace fill up? Can it be like too full? Or, no. like, does it just keep growing? Or, I mean, how does that work? Well, if you want to use, if you want to do this strategically, this is never an issue because you're going to create new memory palaces. It switches your spatial memory on. And, Here's where we can do some science, right? Like spatial memory is a thing. And if you really want to learn about it, The Case for Mental Imagery uh, by Stephen Coslin is a great book. It's pretty intense, but I mean, the, the, the science is here. And then spatial memory seems to be connected to all the other memories. So autobiographical memory, episodic memory, procedural memory, figural memory, blah, blah, blah. Like I don't want to bog you down with a bunch of science, uh, but I can if you're, if you're into that. Like it's just, I love this stuff. The reality is, is that the more you do this, the more you are able to connect the different levels of memory. And so you can't fill them. All that can happen is you just say, well, I'm going to let that stay as it is for a while and reuse it later. Or I'm just going to save that one because I like it. But the purpose of this technique is not to like hoard up a bunch of treasure in your head forever. The purpose of the technique is to get it into long-term memory like that. 
So there is, again, a set of procedures that you follow that are all based on the memory of science. And if you follow those patterns and procedures, then that stuff gets into long-term memory. And that's what makes this fast. It's, you've got to have at least two phases, the placement phase and then revisiting the information phase. And why this is such a powerful alternative is if you, as many people do, get on your app store and you download these apps in language learning that you know say, what was this word? And you know, you're supposed to answer it and you self-test and all that sort of stuff. If you show this material to yourself, maybe you'll remember it over time. Um, there's different studies that show different rates. But the reality is, is that this may be scientifically the case that if you show it to yourself uh, enough amount of times, you'll, you'll recall it. That doesn't mean that it'll happen for you, right? Because if you're not actually engaged with the information, doesn't matter whether it's on a card or in a software or in a memory palace. You've got to, it's called active recall in, in the memory science. You, you've got to, to try. You've got to actually go, what the heck was that there? Oh, it was Yul Brenner, right? What was he doing? Well, his lungs were somehow, you know, exploding or whatever. And then you go, oh, yeah, you're a young guy, right? Uh, because it was dice that were coming out of there. Now, that's where your memory really starts to form. It doesn't really start to form when you do the encoding. It's when you actually do the recall. The so, recall. Okay, so what is the science for that? Because I remember reading and studying books about the physical aspect of building memories. And I mean, you actually, when they say, oh, you rewire your brain, I mean, that's kind of true. Like you create different pathways. And w how does that work, the science from that side? Well, it's very simple. Your brain is made of chemicals. Your memories are stored inside of the chemicals or, I mean, this, it appears that they're inside the actual neurons, right? And so you have neurons that uh, positive and negative ions flow through them. And then there are these synaptic connections. They're not really connected. They're like decoupled uh, in some sense. And as the positive and negative ions flow, if they're coupled in just the right way with the dendritic spines, which is where I think some of the memories are stored, and those dendritic spines are really plump, then it just connects, right? And it's sort of decentralized because, again, you have episodic memory, figural memory, auditory memory, visual memory, spatial memory, etc. The more that you have what's called elaborated, uh, elaborated the information, the more of these connections are there, the more the chemicals are filled with the stuff of memory, and the faster those positive and negative ions can flow. Or in some cases, they can flow in the first place, even if it's not fast, right? Uh, because if they're not connected physically, there's no memory, right? And so that's, it's, think of it like, a, your, your, think of your memory, not as a computer, not as film. Not I was literally just about to say camera. that because I mean, the first thing that always comes to my mind is it's like it's like a hard drive. No, but it's not really like a hard drive at all. I mean, it's more like plumbing. So okay, the, the whole idea that evolution would evolve the notion of the memory palace is genius because that's exactly what's happening in your brain. It's like neighborhoods, and the neighbor connected by plumbing, sewage, right? And water and electrical wires and highways. And the more that you strengthen the pipes, the better your neighborhood of memory flows and the less breakage you have. 
because when you, as you know, when something goes wrong with plumbing, it's a mess, it's annoying, it's tedious to get fixed, and you have to hire specialists to do it, right? Uh, and they're not nice to have around, and you can't wait till they're gone. So build your networks properly, fertilize them, you know, and maintain them correctly, and then everything will flow, and you will never need uh, these people. But it's much more like neighborhoods. And so when I have a Chinese memory palace network and I have a, a German memory palace network, it doesn't matter necessarily where in the world the actual memory palaces are, but they are like these neighborhoods in my brain. And the highways between them, they're really they're 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 robust because of following the steps and making sure those steps are there. Okay, so with memory palaces, is memory palaces the primary method that you personally use for memorizing things or is it one tool in a toolbox it's one tool in a toolbox and i would still call it the primary thing and the reason why i would say that is because whether you're using the optimized strategized memory palace technique or not you're still using spatial memory and you're still making associations and so you know different people do it different ways but you've mentioned Ollie and Chris and many other people, Benny Lewis, et cetera. They always are making associations because you have to in order to accelerate if you want to accelerate at all. And even if, you're, even if you don't want to, you still will in order to learn. Learning comes from association. And it's because of this neurochemical connections. I mean, it just can't happen any other way. So I focus on strategizing these more ancient techniques just simply because I enjoy it, and many, many other people enjoy it too. We have a community. We, we're, we're just having a blast, and we, so to speak, convert others to, to our side when they realize how much fun it is too. But the reality is you're using it anyway. It's just a matter of whether you optimize it or not. You become conscious of this. And if you're struggling, it's, it's really just because you're not aware of how the brain works. And if you want to accelerate it or at least explore an alternative, this is just not going to be something new. It's going to be an optimization of what's already going on. So I remember several years ago, I took a course on learning. And I, if memory serves me correctly, it was called Learning How to Learn. It was Barbara Oakley, and I did it through, it was like a university course. I did it through Coursera. And I remember um, from that, she was talking a lot about spaced repetition. So she did the what she called the Pomodoro method, where she would focus study for, say, 25 minutes, and then she would reward herself afterwards. And she was always doing spaced repetition. Um, do you do spaced repetition as well? Do you agree with some of her thoughts on memory? Is memory palace separate? Is it the same? It's just a piece of it? What's the connection there? Or what's your opinion there, I should say? Well, my opinion doesn't matter, because this is a matter of science. It's Black and white. There's no, no opinion doesn't matter whatsoever. Barbara's great. Her partner on that course, Terry Sienowski, is also great. There's a name to memorize. <laughs> um, and actually, in the in the book version of Learning How to Learn, they teach you how to memorize his name, which is incredible. They give these little um, associations that you can you can adopt, which is actually how I memorized it because it doesn't sound like it's spelled. Um, but yeah, no, that that's exactly right. Except for I don't like the term spaced repetition. It sounds tedious. It sounds boring. It sounds completely clinical and 
it's it's just not the not the best possible term really <laughs> it doesn't uh, gel with you <laughs> and besides which who says it has to be spaced right like it's, okay. it, it is in space but yeah you you do it and then you reward yourself but i like to do it in a way that it is the reward right and that's the difference because if you have the little apps, the devices, bing, 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 da, 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 well, they're stealing your data, which is not rewarding at all. And not only that, they're probably showing you ads because you want the free version instead of paying for premium. And if you're paying premium, frankly, I think you're a bit of a sucker because a lot of those things, you know, you could just do on your own in your mind without having to use a software. And you'll get better benefits out of it because of active learning. Because if you're just sitting there, whether you pay for the software or not, and you're just letting it show you the information, oh, and you're not engaging in it because it won't teach you to engage in it, then you're just you're getting. If you're getting results, they're they're diminished to what they could be. And that said, to be fair, there are some people I know. Some of them, you know, some of them, like Ollie Richards, they use that intel that software very very intelligently. Right, because they use elaborative encoding when they do it, they actually use it well. So you can use it well, and Barbara would be a, a case study of that. But I have a testimonial from Barbara, who you know has read some of my books and says that she got a boost out of what I have added to the game to to make sure that people are actually optimizing whatever they're using. But I don't think it has to. I don't think you have to have some extra additional special award because if you do it the way I'm teaching, it is its own reward. And we we actually know this. I began Tim Dogleish, his research on mood boosting effects of using memory techniques. Dopamine increases in your brain. Myelin increases in your brain, which is important to habit formation. And all your opioid receptors in your brain, bing, 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 which is a better bing, bing, bing than the coins in the apps and the you know, I always go with a piece of chocolate. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've, I've used her stuff. And okay, so say, for example, I need to learn and memorize new legal terms or something like that, or new tax laws or things like this. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I didn't go to university for eight years. I need to learn this stuff fast and efficiently and quickly. And I need to do it for many different countries in the world. So I'll do flashcards. It'll either physically write them out, or I'll use an app called Anki, which is like an open source one. I don't know if you've ever used it before, but you can put anything in there and you can use it for anything. I use it for languages and for law terms and things like that. And then, I mean, a lot of times I don't want to study legal terms. I have to force myself to sit down and study this stuff. I mean, like, it's not a fun experience. Like it's easy for me to sit down and study Spanish because I, I super enjoy it. I mean, uh, legal terms is not the most exciting thing, at least for not for me. So if I study and I focus for 25, 30 minutes and I go through my stuff, then I reward myself with a piece of chocolate or something like that. And then I take a break and I relax. Um, I guess, first of all, is a reward something like food, a effective reward and second is using something like flashcards an effective way for learning or memorizing something. Flash flashcards can be. The problem is it's the same thing. Do you actually optimize it in a way that it can work better? So I've got I've got flashcards. I mean, this here is um, it says yeah, your flashcards look different than mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because this is this is optimized to encourage recall. 
So it says ant there, and it has a shoe, and it has basically my representation of the Mona Lisa, right? Oh wow, yeah, I see now, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could you could tell I'm a great artist, right? Um, now, why is ant there? Well, oh, she's also wearing a Spider-Man mask, right? This is because I'm not cheating. I'm not gonna. There's nothing on the back, by the way. Uh, there's no answer, and this is how you make sure you challenge your mind, right? And you actually get the benefits of active recall because Aunt May from Spider-Man is what comes to mind, right? Now, I should have taken the word ant away, but I was a little tired that day, and sometimes I allow myself a little cheat, right? But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, I should just have gray hair on a, on a Spider-Man mask be fine for Aunt May. But the word is Meishu Guan, right? And so I just look at this and go, oh, yeah, art gallery in Chinese, right? Uh, this is how you use flashcards in an optimized way. That word is not in a memory palace because I was doing an experiment to come up with alternatives for students. And that turns out that that works really great. But the point is, is that there's no answer, right? The answer has to be worked out. It has to be, it's when people talk about memory techniques in the memory palace as being a Sherlock Holmes thing, what they mean is that you think in your mind, you use your deduction, you know, well, why is there, a woman with gray hair there, or why is Yul Brenner, you know, doing blah, 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 whatever I said he was doing there um, with his lungs and dice floating out of it. I mean, it's impossible for me to forget that because what a weird image, right, of Yul Brenner doing this, or uh, in this case, I haven't gone into depth of what Aunt May is doing with that shoe, but the, 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 the whole thing is, is that this is Disneyland on tap. So if it's legal vocabulary or terminology or whatever, and you're like, oh, I have to get fat and and eat chocolate in order to, you know, <laughs> uh, learn this. I don't know. I don't know if I would choose that path. By the way, though, chocolate can help with memory improvement, but it has to be a particular kind of chocolate because they bake out. The heat kills most of the memory boosting properties. So uh, okay. Well, I I'm eat like eighty percent. Organic, or sorry, eighty percent um, dark chocolate, completely organic, and it's yummy. Could be safe, but I, I'm not an expert in heat uh, and uh, cooking and all that sort of stuff. But it's worth looking into because certain temperatures just kill anything that's beneficial, uh, according to the research. So, okay, so the things that you've been describing so far is this mnemonic, mnemonics, mnemonics. How do you say this? Mnemonics. Mnemonics, mnemonics. Yeah. I have it written down here. It starts with an M. So it's. Um... As usual, things in the world are confusing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what is. Is there a definition for nanomics, or is this like everything that we've been talking about? What Or what part of this is are we talking about? Well, I think mnemonics is the word for memory technique. Like anything that is a technique is a mnemonic. But it's come to mean, you know, an image or uh, a, a abbreviation or you know something like this. Anything that triggers a memory. But technically, it just means any memory technique. So even inefficient uh, apps are mnemonics, uh, or they are giving you a mnemonic strategy and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I just it's just a broad umbrella term for memory techniques or memory strategies. Cuz I thought for some reason that it was the visualization that you that you associated with it. Is there a special term for that or is it 
or is there no term for that? The problem is, is that there's endless terms, right? And okay. unfortunately, the scientific ones are kind of tedious, like elaborative encoding, like th that has, you know, almost as many syllables as my name. <laughs> so um, I just call it magnetic imagery, right? And why? Because we want to be able to go to our fridge and get the concert tickets so we're not late. You know, what do we use? We use a fridge magnet, right? And so any of these images, when they're placed in a place that you're not going to forget because it's a no-brainer journey through your home or your office or wherever, uh, your favorite restaurants, it's just a no-brainer. Like, there's zero mental energy involved in, oh, yeah, I go here and then I go there, if you design it properly. Because a lot of people, they don't design it properly from the beginning. They get, you know, they, they, they make it a memory task. It's not a memory task. It should already exist in memory in the same way that Yul Brenner, uh, or Aunt May from Spider-Man or whatever it should already exist in memory. And as we saw, I couldn't remember Jethro Tull earlier, but I remembered Ian Anderson, which I think is the flute player, right? And the, the song Aqualung. You Sometimes you won't even remember the, the magnetic imagery, but it'll still good enough, right? It'll work and it'll come later. And then there we go, Jethro Tull, I'm pretty sure is what that band was called. Um, but it's it's magnetic because it, it even if you can't remember the details, it still holds the information in place and you get it. And uh, by the way, one of the reasons to be doing this is not merely language learning on its own, but all of that um, robustness in your brain chemistry, the strengthening of these dendritic spines and synapses and all that sort of stuff, neurons, it leads to what's called cognitive reserve. And that helps fight and fend off dementia and Alzheimer's. So the investment here and the return on your investment is massive, not only mood boosting, not only language learning gains, but long-term fortitude against the forces that could take your memory from you. And not only that, take your quality of life. So yeah, this is worth everything. I mean, I hope my own joy and happiness expresses that. And I'm not alone. Tony Buzan was a mentor of mine, creator of the World Memory Championships. That dude, before he went to the Great Memory Palace in the Sky, happiest person I ever met. Harry Lorraine, famous author of Memory Memory books. He's in his 90s now, happy as wow. pie, right? And he's still doing magic tricks. And you can watch his birthday <laughs> magic tricks that he does for others on his birthday. And he's in his 90s and he's just exuding joy and mental sharpness. And his magic tricks are elaborate. I mean, to use that word again, they're intense. They, they require a lot of uh, work. So if you want to be a vibrant older person in your twilight years, which will be very important as an expat, right? Because as you know, there's, it, it, there's different challenges to, to show up for uh, in the health systems and so forth. You want to be doing this in order to promote your own brain health. Well, I'm very proud of my mother. I mean, she lives here in Panama with us. She helps take care of my daughter. And she's picked up Spanish and now studies, you know, one, two hours a day and is learning it. And I'm like, that's great. I mean, my mom's 63. I mean, I want her to live a very, very, very long, healthy life for as long as possible. And I've always heard this, that um, there are certain tasks that can help keep your brain healthy. And I always knew that language was one of them. So, I mean, I'm kind of excited for her to hear this episode and then, you know, 
Right, check right. out all of your kind of work and things like that, because I think it will be really beneficial for her as well as she um, goes forwards. Well, uh, my compliments and to anybody. I mean, look, you don't have to take my word for it. The research is there. And uh, the, the, the real, the, the billion dollar question is, why do some people look at the data? They go, oh, yeah, this all checks out. This, this totally makes sense for me to do it. And then they still don't do it, right? Um, and it's the same thing with all kinds of health things. That I think that this is the this is the puzzle we really work on, and I work on hard every day. Is how do we encourage people to just try this? Like, what? what why isn't it that everybody is doing this? Because it's just there's no no argument here uh, that it works. Um, so so what what's your instinct on that? Why do more people not use these types of techniques? Well, part of it is that they do. They already do use them, right? They just haven't optimized them. And the other sort of thing is that there are multiple pressures in terms of, well, I've got a job or I'm running a business. And, you know, where do I find the time for all of this? And I mean, believe me, I'm a super busy person myself. I love to be busy. Um, I'm not one of those entrepreneurs who's like, if you're busy, then you're a little law. You know, like I, I really never, never understood that. Uh, the real entrepreneurs I always admire, they get one business going and the next thing you know, they got another one going because, you know, that's yeah, the, the, the joy of life. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I myself just have to structure my time to do it because the sort of the, 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 the interesting aspect of it all is, is if I don't practice, like anything, not going to the gym, the muscle's going to fade, right? So I think that part of what we need to do is we need to have more community, community growth. And as I mentioned, unfortunately, Tony Buzan passed away. I don't know what's going to happen with the World Memory Championships without his guidance, his leadership, his mentorship, his amazing presence. But that was a huge thing in terms of promoting these techniques around the world. And we need more of that sort of thing. And I'm building a community around this. It's different than what he did. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it really comes down to courage. I think a, a lot of people are, are, are sort of concerned that they'll make mistakes. And yet mistakes are the, the way. They, they, they reveal to you how to optimize the techniques. So that I think is, the, is one of the main things to focus on is how to get people to just be comfortable with, with, with making some mistakes along the way. Well, I see people all the time are fearful of making mistakes or, you know, what's going to happen if they make a mistake. I mean, especially, you know, I help people to move overseas. I mean, people are all the time, you know, like, well, what happens? What if it doesn't work out? Or what if I don't like it? And it's always like, well, it's okay. I mean, it's not the end of the world. You just turn around and go back. I mean, I think that in society right now, we're so conditioned that mistakes are bad, that failure is bad. And I'm like, no, actually, like, I'm constantly trying to learn new things. And I know that part of my learning process is I am going to suck at it at first. And I am totally okay with sucking at it. And I think that I have to suck at it first. Otherwise, like, that's an important step. And once that happens, then I can move beyond it. But if I don't allow that to happen, I'll never go forwards. Right, right. Yeah, there, there's that. And I think uh, another thing too, and it's one of the most exciting things about what's happening on the internet, is just to have better thinking models. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's great. We can talk about my history and how I, you know, just started a business and improved a business and got to Germany and went on tour with the band, blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, is that I'm actually risk averse. 
I'm, I'm not a particularly courageous individual, but I have these mental models. So for example, one thing is, is to know about the math of uh, what's called the Monty Hall problem, which is um, you might know about, you know, when there's <clears throat> three doors and uh, I, I think the, the show he was a host of was called Let's Make a Deal. And he used okay. to, yep. he used to open one, one door and say, Oh, you've won 500 bucks. And, uh, would you like to see what's behind the other two doors? Because one of them has a chicken and one of them has something that's worth 5,000 times more or something like this, right? Now, most people will say, no, I'm sticking with what I got. But mathematically, your life is much more likely to improve and be more interesting if you change your mind and choose one of the other doors. And so I'll spare you the math, but the formulas basically work out that, yes, there's still a chance you would get the chicken. But you're much more mathematically likely to get the better prize because of how the math works. So I often think about the Monty Hall problem when you know I want to learn a new skill or I, I don't want to learn a new skill, but you know I sort of would benefit from doing it. And then the other thing that's helped me so many times in, in life to get over my own resistances, to get over my own story, my BS and all that sort of stuff, is to just think, am I playing to win or am I playing not to lose, right? And that's exactly why I wound up in Australia, because I had been so close to being able to apply for permanent residence and citizenship, et cetera, in Germany. Uh, and I was also, I got into the writer's union sort of thing, which is uh, called, the, it's KSK there, uh, Kunstersozialkasse, which I mentioned in case some of your listeners might uh, be authors who could benefit from that. But um, I had to give all that stuff up. And it was, it was hard, right? Because, you know, oh, man, I could get a pension later, blah, blah, blah. But you're going to play to win or you're going to play not to lose. And staying there is definitely playing not to lose. Now, the future's uncertain and there's been consequences of all that, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it still feels great. And it's, I think it's one of those mental models that can just help people. If you're sitting there and thinking, well, I might fail at this or it's going to be too hard or whatever, are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? Because if you go through life playing not to lose – then you know you're going to get the chicken <laughs> for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I'm always encouraging people to to take risks and try new things. I mean, I think that there's just so many false belief patterns people have. You know, going back to the example of my mother, I mean, I know lots of people who are 63 who would just say, ah, I'm too old to learn a new language. We had a friend over for dinner maybe a month ago, and I mean, he's like 50-something. And he's just moved to Panama. And I was like, so are you going to start studying Spanish? Are you going to start learning? And his wife is um, Spanish speaking. And he's like, no, I know enough words to get by. I'm too old. I don't, I don't have the talent for it. Actually, that was his excuse. I don't have the talent for languages. And I was trying to explain to him, like, I don't think that there is such thing as a talent for learning languages. It's not in your blood or in your DNA. I mean, there's strategies and you work at it and you practice and you get better at it. And I mean, you have to build on it, but if you spend time and energy and effort on it, then chances are you'll succeed. Whether it's as fast as someone else or slower than someone else doesn't really matter, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I don't think it comes down to talent. and. If there is a talent, if the, if anybody has an advantage, it's it's that they have mental strength, right? They have mm -hmm. some sort of way of showing up consistently to challenge, because the the exciting adventure of learning a language 
or learning any subject area in detail is that it gets more complicated the deeper you go, not less, right? Because you're constantly discovering. And this would be true even if you were studying your mother language. You know, like, I don't know how many people have seen the Oxford English Dictionary, but that sucker is huge. It, it, it spans multiple shelves, right? Like it's many, many volumes. We don't even have the slightest notion of how complicated our mother tongues are. So, you know, to, to worry about how deep you can get into Chinese and so forth, or, you know, it's not a talent. It's just, it's a, well, Barbara Oakley, she, she had said at some level, you just got to fall in love with the language. And I struggle with that because I'm not necessarily in love with many of the things that I study. So as much as I like that quote, and it's a nice one, it's also got to be like mental strategy. So how am I going to get myself to do this even though, right? And without, for example, making myself fat from eating chocolate. I can't even eat chocolate anyway because this and that food sensitivity and yada, 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 yada. And uh, yeah, you just, you've just got to kind of find in yourself, not, I, I, I don't like this kind of Simon Sinek, you know, find your why kind of thinking, but I do like flipping it on its head. Find your why not, you know, you know, like, why not you? Why not you being talented for learning languages? If it comes down to talent, why couldn't you develop that talent? Um, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? And really, if you ask that question, it's probably because you're playing not to lose at the end of the day. Well, I mean, I've had a lot of my own baggage with learning growing up. I was quote unquote diagnosed with a learning disability when I was a child and they took me out of my neighborhood school and they sent me across town and put me in a special class for people with learning disabilities. And I was there for three years and it was a horrible, horrible experience and I hated it and I got in tons of fights and um, I ended up leaving school, basically stopped going to school when I was 12 and I dropped out when I was 15. And even when I was in school in, well, you know, you're Canadian, um, it's very common to take French as a second language. And in most years, in most provinces, it's, it's mandatory. Well, they didn't, they didn't send me to it because they said, you have enough trouble with English. We don't want to overwhelm you. And so we, they just gave me a resource period where basically I just would do homework or work with a resource teacher. And on that regard, I understand that they were probably trying to be nice, but I also think that they did, there's a lot of baggage that came with that, where afterwards I thought and felt like, I can't learn another language because I have a learning disability and I was not even allowed to take French in school because basically they thought it was going to hurt me and hurt my progress. So for me, learning Spanish now at 38 years old and becoming quite fluent and having full-on conversations is a huge accomplishment for me. This is like literally a lifelong goal for me. <laughs> Now, yeah, I have friends like Ollie who, are, who can speak eight languages. And I mean, that's awesome. I have admiration for that. I don't feel like jealousy. I don't feel bad. I mean, that's his path and that's what he did. Just for me to accomplish being able to have a conversation in Spanish is like a huge, huge, huge thing for me. And I mean, in, in all of today's conversation, we're, we're talking about languages and I, and I do want to talk, uh, touch on some other uh, aspects of memory and techniques or things that your techniques help with. But I mean, it's one of those 
false belief patterns that I was speaking about earlier. I mean, my false belief pattern was, you have a learning disability, you have enough trouble learning English, therefore you can't learn another language. That's tragic. Like, that's really sad. I mean, so I'm so grateful now that I've worked through those types of things. So I don't believe that anymore, that I identified that and I went through it. So, I mean, for anybody out there who's listening and has one of these false belief patterns that, you know, we're talking about right now, too old, don't have the talent, you know, problem with learning, it's not true. Like, I mean, if I can do it, literally anybody can do it. If you can learn one language, your mother tongue, then I think you can learn a second language. Right, right. Sure, sure. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you had that experience. I wish that was different. Uh, unfortunately, far too many people go through that. And, you know, I did as well. I was taken out of grade six and put into the special needs class. But, you know, the 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 bonus out of that is I learned how to type and learned about programming because they gave us basic to play around with in this small little room for special needs people. And, you know, it wasn't great because we didn't like each other and we fought even more than we did in the traditional classroom. But uh, nonetheless, there, there was a kind of interesting outcome of that. But, you know, I don't want to be a critic of the uh, educational system because I'm not willing to be an educational reformer. And really, the only people who should be criticizing it are those who do the work of educational reform. But that said, we can certainly forgive those people as just being people as well. And, you know, they make mistakes like anybody else. And then focus on you having the wherewithal to invest in yourself and make it work anyway. And, you know, that is where I think that there's such a, a puzzle that I'm showing up to every day to help solve for many, many people as much as I can during my time on earth, which is as much as I love science, you know, at the end of the day, science is not what we think it is. You, we need to have you be the scientist. And that's what you've done, right? You've shown up, you've created a laboratory space and you've run some experiments and you've wound up being able to speak Spanish, right? And in your laboratory space, you, 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 I don't know the extent to which that that you did it this way, but you know you mentioned jealousy, and you just put jealousy out of your mind, which is what good science is about. It's just the, you, you notice that there's emotions involved, and um, it's not there. And that's another thing that that's playing to lose, right? Because a lot of people are jealous, mm -hmm. and um, well, and a lot of people, or a lot of times, I think like, oh, I should get this now, or I mean, it's easy to get down on yourself. You're like. You know, I've been learning for a year now or 18 months. Um, you know, I should be further along and look at these other people. Look at how far they've come. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I mean, I'm on my own path. I'm on my own journey. And it's going to take as long as it takes. And yes, I'm super interested in optimizing it, as you said. But yeah, like I have things that I've tried and things that have worked for me and other things that are supposed to work and didn't work, you know, or I didn't, I didn't gel with, to use your terminology. Right, right. Um, well, the fascinating yeah. thing about that is that things that don't gel on Monday, sometimes they work out on Thursday. It's, it's, often, it's often worth revisiting things that didn't work, right? I mean, uh, it's so much uh, of, of life is timing and then reconsideration and going back and, and not being so convinced that, you know, well, that didn't work. Like most things worth doing in life, they don't work. It's you that does the work. 
right? It, it, like nothing at the gym lifts itself. Nothing that I'm aware of. And uh, it, and sometimes you see people at the gym who are you know, obviously cheating and whatever, but you know that's their loss as opposed to showing up to the challenge, figuring it out, right? Um, it's it's really really important to find in yourself the starting point, and that's sort of what I what I would try to get at is that each person needs to find the portal of entry so that they can make it work. And life is not so complicated; it's not so intricate that you can't figure it out. The reason we're communicating now is because there's more similarities to our brains than differences, and and so. I mean, as they say, it's a bit cliche, but success leaves clues. And if other people can do it, that means you can too. Uh, you just got to get out of your own way usually. And I've had to get out of my own way many times. And the great thing is, is that memory techniques will help you get out of your own way because you'll be able to remember some of these thought principles that that show you where you're being the obstruction. I think that also I have a... Um, I don't like the word memorize. And I'll tell you why. I mean, the word memorize to me reminds me of rote memorization, which is the methods that they tried to teach me how to read and write, which did not work for me whatsoever. Now, when I found phonetics, I mean, that worked for me, being able to sound out words. I mean, this was grades three, four, five, and six that I was in a, or sorry, grade four, five, and six that I was in a special school. But I think that the way that you use memory or memorize is more just like how to learn things, the method of learning things opposed to, you know, rote of just yeah, yeah. staring <laughs> at it, basically staring at a word and just trying to, uh, well, memorize it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've noticed over the years that, that there are people who don't like that term and here's where sometimes memory can be against you because I've used it for so long. It's deep in my procedural memory and it's just the one that I use. But there could be potentially, you know, deep oil wells of people who would respond to what I do a lot better if I were to use remember better or whatever. But by the same token, I mean, really, have you learned anything if you haven't memorized it? And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there. I don't know how to solve that puzzle because I just use that term. So that's another sort of memory exercise, which would um, be how do you change a behavior? How do you change a pattern that you repeat all the time? And I haven't worked on that one yet, but um, if I ever if I ever do, there's strategies for that. And then that's kind of forward pacing and rewinding at the same time because you've got to undo something that your procedural memory has really – a, gr a grasp on. And that's part of another reason why people struggle is that the, 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 the patterns in their neurochemistry are so developed, like the, the, the matter of those neurons, they, they have a hard time breaking it. And that's why they say in order to form new habits uh, or to get rid of bad habits, you've got to form new habits that are more positive. And that totally makes sense to, to help those, literally help those vines in your brain, the neurons reduce in size and uh, potentially just die off. So we've talked, as I said, a lot today about languages, but I do want to spend a little bit of time on some of the other things that your techniques help with. Now, I wanted to ask you, because I remember watching a movie, and I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's a Jason Bourne movie, 
and he walks in and he, he has a conversation with the woman and he says, you know, um, I can recite for you, and this is a bad quote, but I can recite for you every license plate in that parking lot out there. Like, how can I do that? Like, he, he doesn't even know how he's able to right, do that. Right, right. <laughs> Does the techniques that you work with help with numbers and things like that? Like, would something like that you teach be able to help with license plates and um, other types of uh, numbers in random orders? Absolutely. You know, hardly a week goes by when one of the participants in my courses doesn't email me and say, well, I've been practicing with license plates on the drive uh, to work or whatever, like literally every week for years and years since I've been doing this. And it's an exercise, right? It's a powerful exercise. Why? Because let's just say it's um, MT2020 or something like that, right? Um, then I'm just going to think, oh, Mikkel Thorup. Right. And uh, the, 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 the 2020 or 2021, I guess we're in now, I should use that. But, um, you know, there's images that I have for every digit from zero, zero to 99 so that, you know, you can remember the numbers and then every letter can be a, an image as well. So M doesn't necessarily need to be your name, but it could be um, like a monkey or, you know, T could be a train. And the more that you do this, you just see a monkey throwing a train at uh, uh, nose is my image for 20. Um, actually, Michelangelo's uh, David's nose, you know, just throwing a train at this nose. And then, you know, I'm going to remember that license plate. So if Jason Bourne uh, had that ability, then that's how he would have done it. That's so cool. So do you, like, do you systematically go through the letters in the alphabet and the numbers you said zero to a hundred or zero to 99 and like map that out in advance when you're starting to work with memory palaces or do you do them over and over again based on different memory palaces? Well, this is uh, where we get a little bit technical because when the learner does it is up to them and there's no one size fits all answer, but as soon as possible is always <laughs> is all is the cookie answer a cookie cutter answer if there is one but basically memory techniques at the level of the people who really get into this stuff and not just in the 20th and 21st century but back in the 1600s i study a lot of, of a guy named giordano bruno who um, was a memory master and that's where some of these systems really started to to take on power and it's not, people don't realize this, but a lot of people use these techniques in the past and they used it because they, books were expensive. They were hard to carry and you needed this and you needed to memorize numbers just as much as you needed to memorize entire phrases, etc. Because why? Well, you would need to convince others of your knowledge. So you know, when Giordano Bruno went to Germany and he wanted a job lecturing at the university, he's not going to have books that he can refer to. They're going to test his knowledge based on what's in his head at that moment. Not going to write an essay and go to the library and revisit all this stuff. So basically, you got to figure out what is it you want and then start there. Build those systems. But you're going to have a memory palace system. You're going to have an alphabet system. You're going to have a number system. And if you really want a, a symbol system like if you're doing programming java or something like that and you're using a lot of symbols or if you're doing advanced mathematics and you need to learn you know the symbols involved in mathematical equations you're going to have a system for that 
But you don't necessarily need all of these systems at once, and you don't necessarily need all of them ever. But uh, every person, again, for the brain exercise fitness, they would do very well. Instead of playing crossword puzzles, where the evidence shows that that doesn't really give you the benefit that they say that a lot of people think, right? Because people just cheat, right? They just, oh, well, I'll just look at the answer key at the back. They get zero benefit out of that. Um, rather than invest in all of that, being able to look at the alphabet and say, okay, I've got a person for that, right? My friend Adam, I've got an object, Apple, and I've got an action, which is, you know, would be ex accelerate or, or something like this, right? And then you look at B, you know, you got Brad Pitt, you got a ball, and you've got that he's being bombastic, or, you know, that's a more of an adjective, uh, adjectival expression, but you could push, you know, he's bumping somebody as the verb. This goes back to the 1600s, at least, that it was all codified as a system, person, action, object, right? And um, it is extraordinary because, yeah, you could walk in and somebody says, hey, can you remember even just a tenth of the license plates in this parking lot? You just, you'll instantly have a strategy for doing it. Side note, when I think of something, I physically notice that like I look up to the um, left or right-hand corners of my vision. Any idea why I might do that or why people do that? Well, it's popular in NLP to talk about accessing different areas of the mind with eye movement and so forth. I'm not entirely sure that those things pan out to have any special meaning, but maybe they do. At the end of the day, I think that if it actually helps and if it's reliable, then you could test it and see just how helpful that it is. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, a lot of those things come down to just processing techniques where people are doing some sort of delay. They're, they have a kinesthetic function. Like um, uh, are also related techniques for, for delaying and processing while you're coming up with the answer you want. Interesting, interesting. Okay. So, all right. So with the alphabet, the numbers, the actions, the bouncing, the ball or the bumping, bombastic, um, is there like a dictionary for this? Do everybody use the same words or are these or same objects or are these personal things? No, they're personal, but notice that you I believe, recited back to me everything that I just said, right? You had the ball and bombastic, uh, <laughs> you know, so it, 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 we share this language, right? And so it's not, it, it's going to be personal to you, but it's not necessarily personal because language is not personal. Language is precisely public, right? It's precisely shared. So, but you make it personal, right? So when I say Brad Pitt, I say Brad Pitt for a reason, because I'm thinking about Brad Pitt. I'm thinking about Brad Pitt from Seven, you know, thinking about him when he was on Friends. These are different Brad Pitts, and I might use different ones based on what I'm trying to memorize. But nonetheless, those are personal versions of Brad Pitt for me. And what's important to notice here is that that matters because it's in my brain chemistry. And so I'm going to make much stronger connections when I don't just have generic Brad Pitt but I think about seven, which I've seen at least seven times. And for, right or, for better or worse, I've seen uh, probably seven episodes of Friends. I don't know if he's in seven episodes of Friends, but you know, nonetheless, what I mean here is that the more time that you've spent with the image, the sort of more immediate that it's going to come. By the same token, you don't wait around just for images that you spent extra amounts of time with. 
what you do is you spe start spending time with words. And again, that's where you start to get the brain benefits from this is because you're getting more entangled, so to speak, with a shared language that you share with so many people. And that just improves things across the board. So I've looked at memory palaces before and I've had, I've listened to you on other podcasts talking about them. Um, I always wondered though, when you're picking items or objects and things like that, is it just anything or is it like the more exciting, the more random, the more memorable, quote unquote, the better? It is better if it's instantly the best possible choice, but that's not going to happen every time. It's not even going to happen close to every time. So mm -hmm. I think of it as a sort of two-step process. Just go with whatever comes and then mm -hmm. improve it if necessary. So even just now, you know, thinking about Brad Pitt, I'm trying to think, well, what else? World, I think it was called World War Z or something. He's also in, you know, and just <laughs> add more, improve it more so that it's more sticky. Um, but you, you sometimes don't have time. So I've memorized lots of names at demonstrations that I've given. And it, sometimes it'll be like just not a great image. And I might stumble for just a second. I'll, I, I've, to this date, I've never made a mistake except for like slight pronunciation errors uh, or if I've misheard a name uh, at any of these demonstrations. But um, if that happens, then I will work to choose a better image. Like, for example, I was at an event. I'm about 80% deaf in my left ear. So that's why I sometimes have these pronunciation problems during my demonstrations which incidentally, because I'm so relaxed and I teach relaxation a lot, it doesn't blow me at all. And um, I just explained the situation. But there was a guy one time, I called him William. And it was at a, um, a meeting, there was maybe 20 people there. And it was in a bar. It was sort of before a, mas a business mastermind with Dean Jackson in uh, Sydney. So it was the night before everybody was introducing themselves. I'm like, hey, I'm a memory guy. And they're like, hey, so do you know all of our names? And I said, as a matter of fact, I do. And I just went and listed all of their names. But I called a guy William, and there was music, and I, I heard William. But his name was Graham, right? So now I just have to choose a better image. But I also have to choose a correct image because obviously William Shatner is not going to work. But all I did was had William Shatner eating Graham crackers, right? And then I thought of John Graham, who's the 2018 uh, USA memory champion. So you just, you just work it. <laughs> Again, it's just sort of, it's like, I, I think of it as, as kind of like a martial art or like the samurai. You know, they used to say that um, uh, a samurai should be able to execute one last perfect move, even with his head cut off. And that's sort of what these demonstrations can be like sometimes when you, you have this thing and they just go, oh, well, I heard William, sorry. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. And then you just start to explain the Graham crackers and everybody laughs. And I'll never forget that guy's name now. <laughs> but yeah, you just sort of progressively uh, go with what works. And then if you, if you forget, then you just got to change your image. Or if you make a mistake, you just got to, I call it compounding. You just compound in some new stuff. Amazing. So earlier in the conversation, you talked about uh, moving things into the long-term memory. So we have what, a working memory and then a long-term memory? Because I think most people, they'll call it like short-term memory and long-term memory. How, how long does something like this take? It, can it be instant or do your techniques help to speed this up? Like, how does that work? It can be instant, actually. Yeah. 
However, we don't rely on it being instant. So again, at Dean Jackson's business mastermind, I didn't rely on the fact that I memorized them correctly within, I don't know, it would have been 10 minutes or so before they asked me what I do. Um, uh, but what I do is after I memorize it, I follow some patterns. So the patterns are very simple and they're based on memory science, what are called primacy effect, recency effect, and serial positioning effect. So that's a lot of terminology. You don't have to know the terminology. I just find it quite exciting, <laughs> actually. Um, but basically what, it, what I'm doing is, so there's a circle of people and I go, I, I memorize them as they're introducing themselves in the order that they introduce themselves. Then I recall those names in the order mentally. I'm still, and I, you know, if you develop these skills, you can track conversations and do this at the same time. I do it all the time at these presentations. So I go forward then I go backward, and then I actually skip the individuals forward and backward. So person one, person three, person five, person seven, person 10, eight, et cetera. And the reason why you do that is not because it's fun. Actually, it is fun. But um, you do it because science shows us that serial positioning helps improve long-term memory. And I will do that a couple of times. And from then on, not only am I good for that weekend remembering everybody's name, but if I see them, I'm probably within the 90% range that I'm going to remember their name just from having done this. And I'll do it as a rule of thumb about five times. And, and then, you know, you're pretty much good to go. But if you really want to go for gold and like in language learning, for example, you'll do it five times a day for a couple of days. And then you want to revisit it according to your basics, your your strengths, your skills, your needs with this. And the, the thing is, and it's, it's where it's a kind of like a martial art, is that nothing is the same ever. It's going to shift. It's going to change. So rules of thumb are nice, but it really comes down to the individual information uh, in many cases. And just knowing yourself, knowing your abilities, just like a martial artist has to be honest and truthful to their own abilities and just show up and train. It, if, if they want to survive, if they want to be like the samurai who can execute that one last move, even with their head cut off. That's what a memory master is. <laughs> so I remember reading in some of the books that I've gone through, and I'm a, quite a voracious reader. I remember in Psycho-Cybernetics, he talks a lot about sleeping on something and using that as a way to transfer memories from short-term memory to long-term memory. And he talks about allowing your brain the opportunity, your subconscious to work through problems and actually um, give you solutions where, you know, and so for me, instead of like starting one project and trying to finish it all in one day, what I often do is I start 50 different projects and they're at different degrees of doneness and I just allow things to kind of percolate in the background. Have you ever found that sleeping on something or using that as a way to transfer, to, to solidify memories from short-term to long-term, that it helps or not? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm a big fan of sleep and also dreaming. So I have a course on how to remember your dreams. And one of the things about that is not nearly, not merely just that you can remember your dreams, but that you can actually extract wisdom from your dreams. And uh, one of the things that I point out in this course 
is that dreaming is poorly understood and its relation to fantasy is poorly understood because most of us are dreaming all day long. We're thinking about the past. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about alternative versions of the present. We're not really here, right? So how can you turn that into a superpower? And a lot of the malt stuff is exactly that. He's talking about how you can do that. So it's it's not just percolating while you're asleep, but also starting to realize how that you can use your sleep-like fantasy as you walk through life as part of an optimization process. So yeah, absolutely. I do that stuff a lot. I have a, a more recent exercise that I've created called the, the prior, priority pyramid. And it is like a thing I do before I sleep and when I wake up. And it's just... I'm only allowed to have three things in my pyramid and mentally rotate them in, well, is this number one or is this number two or is this number three, right? And then I'll allow each inner, each pyramid to have three pyramids inside of it because every task has at least three parts to it, right? And allow them to rotate around. Anyway, uh, as I do this, it's not exactly like a sleep thing, but it is usually before sleep. And then when I get up, just to test, you know, What's the gold coin activity here? And just allow this to mentally rotate around. It's very powerful. So, you know, if you're struggling to get ahead in life and you can't decide what you should focus on, give these things a try and try them at different times of day and see if you wake up with new insights after doing it before sleep and whatnot. Well, I think I'm going to have to take your dream course because I remember when I was, um, I don't know, probably about 21 or something like that. I was living in Guatemala and I lived at a meditation center for three or four months and they taught lucid dreaming. So actually being able to control your dreams. And I mean, that was 20 some odd years ago, but I would love to have an opportunity to revisit some of those ideas and see what the science tells us now and you know what things you have figured out about dreams and how they affect us and how we can uh, remember them and what that means. I mean, I think that would be super fascinating. It is. And, you know, there is an alternative to uh, lucid dreaming that I think people will love. And incidentally, I was able to do psychoanalysis with Robert Langs, who's not to be confused with art, but he was really uh, an amazing writer about dreams and what they can do for you uh, just on a non-lucid level, if you really get into it. And some of his scientific findings are controversial. And I think one of the reasons why they're controversial is precisely because they touched a nerve. And that's a, a very exciting thing to get into. So I don't think of it as a right or wrong thing. It's just like the conversation that he made possible about what dreams can be and what they can do is just super fascinating. And so I've applied a lot to that of that to my own practice. Fascinating. I love it. Anthony, amazing conversation today. Super, super exciting. If people want to learn more about your memory palace, the programs that you do, these dream courses, uh, memorizing poetry, languages, numbers, all the amazing things you do, uh, where can we send them? How can they reach out to you? How can they find out more? Well, thank you for having me and thank you for asking. There's a free course that I have for you, which you can register for at magneticmerrymethod.com forward slash Mikkel. M-I-K-K-E-L. And yeah, absolutely. Um, would love to see you there. And if you have questions, just get in touch. Perfect. So magneticmemorymethod.com forward slash my name, first name. Amazing. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I have a very big announcement. 
After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum, and I will see you there. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. Talk soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.